When seasons turn and pumpkins burn, enter jester skeletons that dance, goblins that read gothic romance on a stage werewolves maraud as an audience of vampires applaud. Such spooky sights to be seen. Welcome to Halloween. Hello and welcome to Scintillating Stories. In this show we read short stories by a variety of authors. Today we are reading another tale by Richard Matheson. Monsters of myth and legend are never straightforward. They always have a deeper meaning. No Such Thing as a Vampire by Richard Matheson In the early autumn of year 18-something or other, Madame Alexis Gehira awoke one morning to a sense of utmost torpor. For more than a minute she lay inertly on her back, her dark eyes staring upwards. How wasted she felt. It seemed as if her limbs were sheathed in lead. Perhaps she was ill. Petra must examine her and see. Drawing a faint breath, she pressed up slowly on an elbow. As she did, her nightdress slid, rustling to her waist. How had it come unfastened? She wondered, looking down at herself. Quite suddenly, Madame Gehira began to scream. In the breakfast room, Dr. Petra Gehira looked up, startled from his morning paper. In an instant, he had pushed his chair back, slung his napkin onto the table, and was rushing for the hallway. He dashed across its carpeted breadth and mounted the staircase two steps at a time. It was a near-hysterical Madame Gehira he found, sitting on the edge of her bed, looking down in horror at her breasts. Across the dilated whiteness of them, a smear of blood lay drying. Dr. Gehira dismissed the upstairs maid, who stood, frozen in the open doorway, gaping at her mistress. He locked the door and hurried to his wife. Petra, she gasped. Gently, he helped her lie back across the blood-stained pillow. Petra, what is it? she begged. Lie still, my dear. His practised hands moved in swift search over her breasts. Suddenly, his breath choked off. Pressing aside her head, he stared down dumbly at the pinprick lancinations on her neck, the ribbon of tacky blood that twisted downward from them. My throat, Alexis said. No, it's just a... Dr. Hira did not complete the sentence. He knew exactly what it was. Madame Gehira began to tremble. Oh my God, oh my God, she said. Dr. Gehira rose and foundered to the wash basin. Pouring in water, he returned to his wife and washed away the blood. The wound was clearly visible now, two tiny punctures close to the jugular. A grimacing Dr. Gehira touched the mounds of inflamed tissue in which they lay. As he did, his wife groaned terribly and turned her face away. Now listen to me, he said, his voice apparently calm. We will not succumb immediately to superstition, do you hear? There are any number of... I'm going to die, she said. Alexis, do you hear me? He caught her harshly by the shoulders. She turned her head and stared at him with vacant eyes. You know what it is, she said. Dr. Gehira swallowed. He could still taste coffee in his mouth. I know what it appears to be, he said, and we shall not ignore the possibility. However, I'm going to die, she said. Alexis, Dr. Gehira took her hand and gripped it fiercely. 
You shall not be taken from me, he said. Salter was a village of some thousand inhabitants situated in the foothills of Romania's Bior Mountains. It was a place of dark traditions. People hearing the bay of distant wolves would cross themselves without thought. Children would gather garlic buds as other children gathered flowers, bringing them home for the windows. On every door there was a painted cross, at every throat a metal one. Dread of the vampire's blighting was as normal as the dread of fatal sickness. It was always in the air. Dr. Kahira thought about that as he bolted shut the windows of Alexis's room. Far off, molten twilight hung above the mountains. Soon it would be dark again. Soon the citizens of Salter would be barricaded in their garlic-reeking houses. He had no doubt that every soul of them knew exactly what had happened to his wife. Already the cook and upstairs maid were pleading for discharge. Only the inflexible discipline of the butler, Carol, kept them at their jobs. Soon even that would not suffice. Before the horror of the vampire, reason fled. He'd seen evidence of it that very morning when he'd ordered Madame's room stripped to the walls and searched for rodents or venomous insects. The servants had moved about the room as if on a floor of eggs, their eyes more white than pupil, their fingers twitching constantly to their crosses. They had known full well no rodent or insect would be found, and Kahira had known it. Still he raged at them for their timidity, succeeding only in frightening them further. He turned from the window with a smile. There now, he said, nothing alive will enter this room tonight. He caught himself immediately, seeing the flare of terror in her eyes. Nothing at all will enter, he amended. Alexis lay motionless on her bed, one pale hand at her breast clutching at the worn silver cross she'd taken from her jewel box. She hadn't worn it since he'd given her the diamond-studded one when they were married. How typical of her village background that, in this moment of dread, she should seek protection from the unadorned cross of her church. She was such a child. Gahira smiled down gently at her. You won't be needing that, my dear, he said. You'll be safe tonight. Her fingers tightened on the crucifix. No, no, wear it if you will, he said. I, I only meant that I'll be at your side all night. You'll stay with me? He sat on the bed and held her hand. Do you think I'd leave you for a moment? he said. Thirty minutes later, she was sleeping. Dr. Kahira drew a chair beside the bed and seated himself. Removing his glasses, he massaged the bridge of his nose with the thumb and forefinger of his left hand. Then, sighing, he began to watch his wife. How incredibly beautiful she was! Dr. Kahira's breath grew strained. There is no such thing as a vampire, he whispered to himself. There was a distant pounding. Dr. Gehira muttered in his sleep, his fingers twitching. The pounding increased. An agitated voice came swirling from the darkness. Doctor, it called. Gehira snapped awake. For a moment, he looked confusedly towards the locked door. Dr. Gehira, demanded Karel. What? Is everything all right? Yes, everything is... Dr. Gehira cried out hoarsely, springing for the bed. Alexis' nightdress had been torn away. A hideous dew of blood covered her chest and neck. Karel shook his head. Bolted windows cannot hold away the creature, sir, he said. He stood, 
tall and lean beside the kitchen table on which lay the cluster of silver he'd been polishing when Gehira had entered. The creature has the power to make itself a vapour which can pass through any opening, however small, he said. But the cross, cried Gehira, it was still at her throat, untouched except by blood, he added in a sickened voice. This I cannot understand, said Karel grimly. The cross should have protected her. But why did I see nothing? You were drugged by his mephetic presence, Carol said. Count yourself fortunate that you were not also attacked. I do not count myself fortunate. Dr. Gehira struck his palm with a look of anguish on his face. What am I to do, Carol? he said. Hang garlic, said the old man. Hang it at the windows, at the doors. Let there be no opening unblocked by garlic. Gehira nodded distractedly. Never in my life have I ever seen this thing, he said brokenly. Now my own wife. I have seen it, said Karel. I have myself put to its rest one of these monsters from the grave. The stake, Gehira looked revolted. The old man nodded slowly. Gehira swallowed. Pray God you may put this one to rest as well, he said. Petra! She was weaker now, her voice a toneless murmur. Gehira bent over her. Yes, my dear, he said. It will come again tonight, she said. No! He shook his head determinedly. It cannot come. The garlic will repel it. My cross didn't, she said. You didn't. The garlic will, he said. And see, he pointed to the bedside table. I've had black coffee brought for me. I won't sleep tonight. She closed her eyes, a look of pain across her sallow features. I don't want to die, she said. Please don't let me die, Petra. You won't, he said. I promise you. The monster shall be destroyed. Alexis shuddered feebly. But if there is no way, Petra, she murmured. There is always a way, he answered. Outside the darkness, cold and heavy, pressed round the house. Dr. Gehira took his place beside the bed and began to wait. Within an hour, Alexis slipped into a heavy slumber. Gently, Dr. Gehira released her hand and poured himself a cup of steaming coffee. As he sipped it, hotly, bitter, he looked around the room. Door locked, windows bolted, every opening sealed with garlic, the cross at Alexis's throat. He nodded slowly to himself. It will work, he thought. The monster would be thwarted. He sat there, waiting, listening to his breath. Dr. Gehira was at the door before the second knock. Michael! He embraced the younger man. Dear Michael, I was sure you'd come. Anxiously, he ushered Dr. Varis towards his study. Outside, the darkness was just falling. Where on earth are all the people of the village? Asked Varis. I swear, I didn't see a soul as I rode in. Huddling, terror-stricken in their houses, Gehira said, and all my servants with them, save for one. Who's that? My butler, Karel, 
Gehira answered. He didn't answer the door because he's sleeping. Poor fellow. He's very old and has been doing the work for five. He gripped Vare's arm. Dear Michael, he said, you have no idea how glad I am to see you. Vares looked at him worriedly. I came as soon as I received your message, he said, and I appreciate it. Gehira said, I know how long and hard a ride it is from Cluj. What's wrong? asked Vares. Your letter only said... Quickly, Gehira told him what had happened in the past week. I tell you, Michael, I stumble at the brink of madness, he said. Nothing works. Garlic, wolf's bane, crosses, mirrors, running water, useless. No, don't say it. This isn't superstition or imagination. This is happening. A vampire is destroying her. Each day she sinks yet deeper into that deadly torpor from which Gehira clinched his heart. And yet I cannot understand it, he muttered brokenly. I simply cannot understand it. Come, sit, sit. Dr. Vares pressed the older man into a chair, grimacing at the pallor of him. Nervously, his fingers sought for Gehira's pulse beat. Never mind me, protested Gehira. It's Alexis we must help. He pressed a sudden, trembling hand across his eyes. Yet how, he said. He made no resistance as the younger man undid his collar and examined his neck. You too? said Fares, sickened. What does it matter? Gehira clutched at the younger man's hand. My friend, my dearest friend, he said. Tell me that it is not I. Do I do this hideous thing to her? Vares looked confounded. You? he said. But I know, I know, said Gehira. I must have been attacked. Yet... Nothing follows, Michael. What breed of horror is this which cannot be impeded? From what unholy place does it emerge? I've had the countryside examined foot by foot, every graveyard ransacked, every crypt inspected. There is no house within the village that has not yet been subjected to my search. I tell you, Michael, there is nothing. Yet there is something, something which assaults us nightly, draining us of life. The village is engulfed by terror and I as well. I never see this creature, never hear it. Yet every morning I find my beloved wife. Vara's face was drawn and pallid now. He stared intently at the older man. What am I to do, my friend? pleaded Gehira. How am I to save her? Varus had no answer. How long has she been like this? asked Varus. He could not remove his stricken gaze from the whiteness of Alex's face. Four days, said Gehira. The retrogression has been constant. Dr. Vares put down Alexis' flaccid hand. Why did you not tell me sooner? he said. I thought the matter could be handled. Gehira answered faintly. I know now that it cannot. Vares shuddered. But surely, he began. There is nothing left to be done, said Gehira. Everything has been tried, everything. He stumbled to the window and stared out bleakly into the deepening night. And now it comes again, he murmured. And we are helpless before it. Not helpless, Peter. Fares forced a cheering smile to his lips and laid his hand upon the older man's shoulder. I will watch her tonight. It's useless. Not at all, my friend, said Varus nervously. And now you must sleep. I will not leave her, said Gehira. But you need rest. 
I cannot leave, said Gehira. I will not be separated from her. Varys nodded. Of course, he said. We will share the hours of watching then. Gehira sighed. We can try, he said, but there was no sound of hope in his voice. Some twenty minutes later, he returned with an urn of steaming coffee, which was barely possible to smell through the heavy mist of garlic fumes which hung in the air. Trudging to the bed, Gehira set down the tray. Dr. Varys had drawn a chair up beside the bed. I'll watch first, he said. You sleep, Petra. It would do no good to try, said Gehira. He held a cup beneath a spigot, and the coffee gurgled out like smoking ebony. Thank you murmured Varys as the cup was handed to him. Gahira nodded once and drew himself a cup before he sat. I do not know what will happen to Stolf if this creature is not destroyed, he said. The people are paralysed by terror. Has it been elsewhere in the village? Varys asked him. Gahira sighed exhaustedly. Why need it go elsewhere? he said. It's finding all it craves within these walls. He stared despondently at Alexis. When we are gone, he said, it will go elsewhere. The people know that and are waiting for it. Varys set down his cup and rubbed his eyes. It seems impossible, he said, that we, practitioners of science, should be unable to... What can science effect against it? said Gehira. Science, which will not even admit its existence... We could bring into this very room the foremost scientists of the world, and they would say, My friends, you have been deluded. There is no vampire. All is mere trickery. Gehira stopped and looked intently at the younger man. He said, Michael. Vara's breath was slow and heavy. Putting down his cup of untouched coffee, Gehira stood and moved to where Vahira sat, slumped in his chair. He pressed back an eyelid looked down briefly at the sightless pupil, then withdrew his hand. The drug was quick, he thought, and most effective. Varys would be insensible for more than time enough. Moving to the closet, Gehira drew down his bag and carried it to the bed. He tore Alexis' nightdress from her upper body and within seconds had drawn another syringe full of her blood. This would be the last withdrawal, fortunately. Staunching the wound, he took the syringe to Varys and emptied it into the young man's mouth, smearing it across his lips and teeth. That done, he strode to the door and unlocked it. Returning to Varys, he raised and carried him into the hall. Karel would not awaken. A small amount of opiate in his food had seemed to that. Gehira laboured down the steps beneath the weight of Varys' body. In the darkest corner of the cellar, a wooden casket waited for the young man. There he would lie until the following morning when the distraught Dr. Petra Gehira would, with sudden inspiration, order Corell to search the attic and cellar on the remote, nay, fantastic possibility that... Ten minutes later, Gehira was back in the bedroom, checking Alexa's pulse beat. It was active enough. She would survive... The pain and torturing horror she had undergone would be punishment enough for her. As for Varys, Dr. Gehira smiled in pleasure for the first time since Alexis and he had returned from Cluj at the end of the summer. Dear spirits in heaven, 
Would it not be sheer enchantment to watch old Corel drive a stake through Michael Vara's damned cuckolding heart? Thank you so much for listening. This story can be read online. I will leave a link in the description. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject that you'd like us to cover, then contact us through our Facebook page and Twitter. And subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production.